I hope you are ready for a little bit of an adventure in the Word of God this morning, because we are going to walk through some things that the church has often fought about. Um, we regularly joke about how going through this study of 1 Corinthians, it feels like every other week or every few weeks we're stepping into a passage that has somewhat of a landmine in it. Uh, we have talked about things like church discipline, homosexuality, head coverings, uh, sex in marriage, singleness, divorce, lots of different challenging topics. But I'll be honest, when we started this series back in the fall of 2020, if you can believe that, we've been in 1 Corinthians for that long, this was the passage that I had the most apprehension about. And so here's what I did. I begged Pastor Paul, will you please preach this passage for me? Please. I'm kidding. I didn't. I, I gave him the homosexuality one. We sort of, we, we, I said, I'll take this one. You take that one. We'll be good. But here's my, here's my concern and why, why I had some apprehension. Because, yes, preaching on speaking in tongues and prophecy is not going to get you canceled in the world like speaking on homosexuality will and can. However, this topic, this passage has divided so many churches and has divided so many Christians from one another that in many ways that is far more tragic than the world canceling us. Because look, that's going to happen. We know that. But for the church to be divided, for, for division to even be experienced here at First City, that caused me a lot of apprehension, a lot of nervousness. Lord, what, what do we do when we get to this place? Now, some of you, you've experienced that controversy and division. You've been in churches where this topic was maybe fought about or maybe it divided you from other Christians. Hey, our church believes this. We don't associate with those Christians that think differently than us. Some of you, you've never had this conversation come up or this topic come up in a controversial way. Praise God for that. But we need to be honest. This is a real thing. This is a real issue, uh, an issue that some Christians struggle with, an issue that can divide the church at times. So we need to be honest about that. But at the same time, there's a lot of good news here for us. One, our struggle is not unusual. Like, look, the church has been struggling with this topic, wrestling through this topic, having dis disagreements of viewpoints from the beginning, for over 2,000 years, here, right here in the book of 1 Corinthians, this is the early church. Even in the early church, they struggled. They had questions. They had wrestles. They had doubts. There was uncomfortableness with this topic. And so, look, this has been part of being the messy church from the beginning, okay? So our struggle, our questions, our uncomfortableness, it's not unusual, so we can all just take a deep breath and go, okay, we're not the only ones. This is fine. Also, has it not been the case that time and time again, as we have walked into these passages that are quote-unquote landmines, that each and every time the truth that God has held forth with us in his word has been life-giving and transformative and has encouraged and built us up in the church? Has it not been our experience that God's word has something to say and it is important? So this passage has something to say to you this morning. You may think, what does tongues and prophecy have to do with me? I've never spoken in tongues before. I don't know what this is about. I promise you, by the end of this passage, you will see there is a lot to do with us as a church in this passage. God has something for us. Here's the other thing that I want to emphasize. So important. First City Church. We are a gospel-centered church. 
Not a spiritual gifts-centered church. Gospel-centered. What unites us is not our view of the gifts. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. And so there is freedom here to disagree. Look, First City Church has a position. We have a position. And I'm going to lay some of that out. I'm not going to go into great detail for that. I want to invite you to come this Wednesday night. Lloyd Street, we're going to get more in in depth into these issues and kind of unpack a little bit more what we believe, but I'm going to lay out some things, and you may disagree with what I have to say. You may disagree with our position, and look, that's fine. That's okay, because in Christ, we can be united. We can have differences without being divisive, and I love that about the culture of the church, and so I want to clarify that. We're not standing on unity on this position. We stand in unity in Christ, but here's where I want us to be unified. Here's where unity matters, that we are unified in our belief that the purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up the body in love. Like if we're unified around that, if that's the thing that drives our use of spiritual gifts, that's our concern above and beyond whether I get to use my gift in a particular way, if we're unified there, then will we be faithful to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. We'll be faithful to God's word as we've seen over these past weeks. So I wanna lay that out for us before we jump in, because once again, as we'll see in this passage, the point the Apostle Paul is driving home to the Corinthians, he is emphasizing once again that using your spiritual gifts is not about you. It's not about you. It is about the church. And so after he has spent time emphasizing that the body of Christ, though one, is given this beautiful diversity of gifts, and that those gifts are meant for building up the body, And then, as we saw last week, that actually exercising love is greater than exercising spiritual gifts. Now Paul's going to make some application. He's going to apply these principles to two specific gifts, speaking in tongues and prophecy. And so he writes in verse 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. You see, the Corinthians had become enamored with speaking in tongues, It had a particular wow factor to it. And so they put it on a pedestal and they said, this is the sign of spiritual maturity. This is how you know if you're spirit-filled. This is how you know if you are spiritually mature, if you have this particular gift. And so they pursued this gift at the expense of others. And Paul is going to burst their bubble. He is actually going to flip this on its head. And he says, yes, Corinthians, pursue love. You should be motivated by love and desire spiritual gifts. Those are good things. But make no mistake, when you do those two things, here's the conclusion you're going to come to. Prophecy is greater. Prophecy is actually greater than speaking in tongues. Why? Because as intelligible, clear language, prophecy is going to more regularly and clearly and effectively build up the church. See, this is a greater gift because of the effect it has on the church, the more direct and regular effect it has on the church. In fact, Paul is going to say in verses 19 and 20, I would rather speak five understandable words than 10,000 words in a tongue. I I, I so believe, I want to so emphasize to you, Corinthians, that prophecy is greater than tongues. I'd rather speak five words, which is a half of a sentence, than 10,000 words in a tongue. Does this mean that tongues are unimportant or that tongues shouldn't be practiced in the church? He's not saying that. He said, hey, I actually wish you'd all do that, but even more so that you would prophesy because it is a greater gift. So he's not downplaying and shoving tongues in the corner. He's making a point. 
when you consider the goal is love, the goal is building up the church in love, building up the body, then that can lead you to one conclusion. Prophecy is the greater gift. And so the title of my message this morning is this, 2,000 times better. Doing a little math there with Paul's analogy, 2,000 times better. And the main point of this passage for us is this, we build up the church through clear words of truth. We build up the church through clear words of truth. And so, as I said, I'm, I'm not going to go into a lot of great detail about each of these gifts. Uh, we'll do that more this Wednesday night at 7. encourage you to be there. But I think it is important that we briefly define terms here before we jump into the passage. So I just want to briefly, ever so briefly, as much as it's possible to be brief, <laughs> define these terms, speaking in tongues and prophecy. What are these? What is Paul referring to when he writes of these two gifts? Well, first, tongues. Tongues, the first city's position on tongues is that they are the supernatural ability to speak a human language you do not naturally know. The supernatural ability to speak a human language you do not naturally know. And based on Acts 2, the book of Acts chapter 2, and here in 1 Corinthians 14, we see that tongues were primarily used for expressions of praise in prayer to God or songs, but it also seems that from, based on 1 Corinthians 14, 6, that sometimes tongues could be used for things like teaching and prophecy or a declaration of knowledge or revelation. So they kind of had a primary use where it was declarations to God, praise to God, songs and prayers to God, but also could be used for other um, declarations as well. Now a question, why would God give this gift like, what is it about being able to speak a, a language that you don't know that would, would like, why? You, have you ever asked that question? Well, as we will see in Acts 2 in more detail Wednesday night, <laughs> the point is this, to show that the gospel is a worldwide phenomenon. That the kingdom of God and the people of God are not contained just to the people of Israel, but to the entire globe, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, the gospel is going to go forward to, and people from those tribes, from those tongues, from those nations were going to come to know Christ and be united in Christ. It's this great declaration of the global scope of the gospel, what we just got done celebrating with that mission trip to the Dominican Republic. Tongues are this sign to the church to say, hey, this is not just for one people, but for all people. And the position of First City Church is that tongues is still a gift given to the church today, although we do, I want to be very clear, we do distance ourselves and do not align with a lot of the unbiblical excess that is practiced, sadly, in far too many churches. Second, prophecy. Prophecy is Holy Spirit-empowered declaration of truth that is either giving inspired authoritative revelation or proclaiming that authoritative revelation with a particular power and insight and effectiveness. So I want to be clear, the position of First City is that there is no new authoritative revelation given. You want authoritative revelation? Here it is, the word of God. This is our revelation. This is our foundation. Nothing else is needed to be given. We have everything that we need for life in godliness, as 2 Peter says. This is our hope. This is our authority. This is our truth, the word of God. So we do not believe that there are still prophets walking around. 
Because if there were prophets walking around, they would be giving authoritative truth and declaration, and we believe it's all here. However, there are gifts that serve sort of in the prophetic lane that we would say. They, they, they sort of have this prophetic kind of power to them. They, they, another way to put it is um, there is a sort of a pro- prophet-like or prophetic-like gift, even if they're not prophecy per se. And so what this means is that there are particular speaking gifts, such as preaching and gospel proclamation or speaking truth to a brother or sister, and it comes with a Holy Spirit empowerment of insight and directness and effectiveness that takes your meager, feeble human words and infuses them with a power that you don't have in and of yourself. There is a a way that the Spirit takes your words and gives them a power and an insight and a strength that you know didn't come from you. There's no way you could come up with that. There's no way you could affect that kind of power. And so we want to be careful not to equate all of those things with the direct category of prophecy. But these things do run in the same lane and serve the same purpose as the, the, the declaration of prophecy. So again, Wednesday night we can dive a little bit more into that, but I think that kind of gives just some categories and definition to help us navigate these passages. And so, jumping into verses 2 through 25, really this is Paul's extended explanation of why prophecy is the greater gift over tongues. He keeps repeatedly making that point, drawing in multiple illustrations, hitting it from multiple angles in order to drive home this point, that you build up the church with clear words of truth. So he starts in verse two and three by saying, for the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people but to God since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. So what he is saying here is untranslated tongues becomes a one-way conversation. It's praise or prayer or declaration to God But because it is untranslated and no one knows what it is, it's a one-way street. No one understands what else is being said. There's a mystery to it. There's an uncertainty to it. But when you prophesy, when you speak these clear words of truth in power, when people understand them, the church is built up. You see, when someone speaks in tongues, there is this edification that takes place. There's this wonderful experience of the Spirit for that person. Exercising a gift brings personal edification. But if there's no translation, if there's no ability to edify the rest of the church, then personal edification, as Paul says, is far too small of a goal. Like, look, your spiritual gifts, yes, you benefit from them. There is an experience with the Lord that you get, and it is great, and it is sweet, but if that's all it is, it's like driving a Ferrari in first gear, Like that car was meant to fly. It was meant the full power of that car was meant to be experienced. And if all you're doing is experiencing it personally, you're in first gear. The full power of your gift is to edify the body, to build up the body. Paul is pointing to them that personal edification is far too small a purpose for spiritual gifts. This is why he said the person who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless... He interprets so the church may be built up. The gift of tongues becomes beneficial to the body when there's someone to interpret the message. 
when there's someone to let everybody else know these words of praise or prayer or teaching or prophecy or declaration. So what this means is if there's no gift of interpretation, then the gift of prophecy is not beneficial to the church. And so these two things must happen hand in hand. Because look, as Paul asks in verse 6, if we speak in tongues, what good is it to others if it does not contain a message that can be understood? What good is it to speak in tongues, to speak another language, if no one knows what you're saying? Like, I've come here this morning with a great gospel message for you guys. Powerful gospel message for you. Ete hoton hemon estebon. Ete kata kairon uper. You tracking with me? Uper estebon apathenon. Moli gar uper. Deko tis apathenitai. Uper gar to agatheu. Tis taxa tis kai tola apathenin. Sunestesin de tain agapon. Guys tracking with me? Anybody have any idea what I just said? Well, let, me, let me keep going. Hote eti harmaton hoton Christo hemon uper hemon apathenin. Anybody tracking with me? Anybody know what I just said? Is there someone, someone grabbed one word? Yes, yes, yes. Were any of you edified by what I just said? I mean, I just spoke an incredible gospel truth to you guys. Were you edified by it? Were you encouraged by it? Were you able to say amen? Thank you for that word, Pastor Chris. I'm going to go home encouraged in the Lord. No, why? Because you didn't understand what I said. But what if I said this to you? For we know when we were yet weak, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Rarely will someone die for a just person. Maybe someone will die for a good person. But we know that God demonstrates his love to us that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like when you understood that, when you know what I say, then you're built up. Then you can say amen. Then you can say, yes, God is great. Listen to God's love. Jesus is glorious. You're edified. You're built up. It's Paul's point. If you don't understand the message, how could you ever be edified? How could we ever be built up? Tongues is a great gift, but it must come with interpretation. Paul then goes on to show some adverse effects that take place when unintelligible speech is held up in the congregation, when there's unintelligible speech that is exercised without interpretation. First, he uses the example of music and musical notes in verses 7 through 9. And in so he emphasizes this, we can't respond to what we don't understand. He writes, even lifeless instruments that produce sounds whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. Now imagine this morning if Eric picked up his guitar 
and we were all ready for worship, and he started playing notes that we didn't understand. Well, what is he playing? And he starts just playing these random notes. We have no idea what he's doing. It doesn't even really look like he knows what he's doing, but he just is going, and there's these, these random notes. Are we going to respond in worship? Are we going to be led in worship? No, because we're not going to know what he's doing. We're going to have no idea. Well, should we be singing? Should we be just kind of waiting? What's the song? What's the lyrics? I don't... There'd be this uncomfortableness. We sort of be stuck. There's no way to respond. And similarly, Paul makes the point that, it, that in ancient times, that, and in some ways still today, that armies would use sounds to signal certain moves on the battlefield. But if you didn't know the sound, you could e- would either not move or make the wrong move. And so understanding the communication matters because if you don't understand the communication, you can't properly respond. And look, if our, t- if our speech is unintelligible, how are we ever going to get a response? Because look, our declaration of truth, our proclamation of truth, it's meant to elicit a response. We don't just say things to say things. We don't say things to feel good about ourselves. Hey, I said it, I feel good about myself. No, we say things because we want people to respond. We want people to be encouraged. We want people to be edified. We want people to respond to the gospel. And so if our speech doesn't, isn't, isn't understandable, if it's unintelligible, then we do not elicit a response. And that's problematic. There's an adverse effect there. Paul goes on to, to speak of another adverse effect in verses 10 and 11. That when we don't understand each other, relational connection can break down. He writes, there are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. My senior year of high school, we, my senior class took an 11-day tour of Europe, and on the second to last day, we were in Heidelberg, Germany, and I was standing outside the beautiful Heidelberg Castle, and just standing there, taking it in, enjoying myself, when an elderly man comes up with what looked like pretty obvious concern on his face, and I think he was asking me for help, and he begins to speak to me in German. Now look, don't let my German last name fool you. Like, I know Bratwurst in Volkswagen. Like, that's the extent of my German. And so I sort of just stared at him for like five seconds, like, and I said, I don't speak German in English as if that was helpful. And he just sort of looked at me, kind of made this apologetic note, and just, and just walked away. And so what, what happened in that moment is I was unable to enter in and help this guy and step in relationally because there was a language barrier. Now, now Paul isn't saying that speaking in tongues automatically breaks down all relationship in the church, but his point here is if we're not speaking words that are intelligible then we're not able to actually enter in. It's not going to move us closer together. It's actually going to put a wall between us. And if you've ever traveled to a foreign nation, you know this. That if you are surrounded by people where you don't know the language and they don't know your language, there's this wall. Yeah, you can work to overcome it in some ways, but there's always going to be this wall of separation. And if we are not speaking words that are intelligible and clear to one another, if we're unable to build one another up in truth, then there is going to be a wall between us relationally. There's going to be difficulty for us to be able to enter in and be able to speak truth to people when they need truth, to encourage them, to exhort them, to comfort them. Like, if I can't do that, then I'm at a distance from you. And that is tragic 
when that happens. And so we build each other up with clear words of truth. And then to drive his point home, Paul then draws attention to how uninterpreted tongues actually has an effect on visitors and guests and even unbelievers. In verses 16 and 17, he writes this, If you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving thanks, since he does not know what you're saying? For you very, may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. So the word for outsider here in Greek is the uninitiated. And so the idea here is this is probably a guest Christian here at visiting Corinth, or perhaps a new Christian. In either way, these folks did not have experience with the gift of tongues. It was new to them. They didn't understand what was happening. And because they couldn't understand, they couldn't say amen to the praise given or the declaration of truth given. And so there is this incredible lack of hospitality that happens when we speak words that are unintelligible. To speak in tongues without interpretation is to show a lack of concern for guests. It's to say, hey, guests, you can sit here over in the corner. The rest of us are going to kind of do our thing, but there's a distance and a wall between us. When God calls us to welcome people, to show hospitality, to bring them in, to encourage them, how tragic would it be to have a Christian, who, a new Christian or someone visiting us and they come, and their experience at First City is, I'm sorry, I wasn't, edu- I wasn't uh, encouraged because I didn't know what was being said. I experienced a lack of hospitality. Oh, how tragic that would be. How sad that would be. And so when we speak unintelligible language, we show a lack of hospitality, but we build people up with clear words of truth. Then finally, Paul really drops the hammer in verses 20 through 25. He tells them, hey, don't be childish in your thinking. Don't be immature and self-centered in your thinking as children often are. No offense, kids. Sorry. You'll grow out of it. Some of us adults are still growing out of it. But there is this, when we consider immaturity, childish thinking, what is it? It's self-centered. It's self-regarding. So he's saying, hey, don't be so focused on yourself. Don't be so selfish. Because the Corinthians in putting tongues on a pedestal, they they probably believed that, hey, if we speak in tongues around non-Christians, that's going to wow them and amaze them and bring them to Christ. But Paul says, actually, the opposite happens. It's certainly a sign, but it's not the sign that you think it is. And so Paul, quoting Isaiah 28, 11, 12, he writes this, it is written in the law, I will speak to this people, speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And so here's what's happening in the context of Isaiah 28. The religious and political leaders of the people of Israel had fallen into great sin and wickedness, and they were leading the people into sin and wickedness. And so what God said, I'm going to judge you by bringing the nation of Assyria to come in and conquer you, and you are going to be surrounded by people that you don't even understand what they're saying. I'm going to remove my clear words of prophecy and teaching and truth and surround you with language you don't even understand, and when you hear that, you'll know I'm being judged. And so what the Apostle Paul is pointing out here is to be surrounded by language that you don't understand is certainly a sign, but it's not a sign of blessing. It's a sign of judgment. And this is out of place in the church, 
Because the church is not a community made up of people under judgment, but under gospel blessing. And so church, we send the wrong message, we send the wrong sign when we, if we build a culture and build a worship gathering where people are speaking in languages that no one understands, that's actually getting it backwards. She's like, whoa, that's wrong. That's not a sign of blessing, that's a sign of judgment. So we need interpretation, we need clear words. On top of that, Paul says, rather than impressing non-Christians, they're gonna come in and go, what is going on here? People are out of their mind, got a little hopped up on that Holy Spirit a little bit too much maybe. Point being is, rather than bringing them to a place of faith, it's going to drive them away. There's going to be a disconnect, and they're going to see that as not something that is godly and driving and wants to bring them toward Christ, but actually it's something that's going to put them off. And so over and over and over again, Paul is making this point. When it comes to building up the church, when it comes to showing hospitality, when it comes to proclaiming the gospel to outsiders, uninterpreted tongues is not a benefit to these things. Rather, prophecy, clear words of truth, that's how we build up. That's how we show hospitality. That's how we declare the gospel to those who are far from Christ. Because prophecy clear words of truth spoken with Holy Spirit power, that only not, build, not only builds up the church, but has the power to save, as he writes in verses 24 and 25. But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. Listen, church, one of the signs of a spirit-filled community is the clear and powerful proclamation of God's word. We we know that the spirit is at work in this church when the spirit is giving prophetic power to our speech that affects change. And when the spirit of God is working through our proclamation of his word, when, when the spirit of God is working through our edification of one another, our encouragement of one another, our challenge and exhortation of one another, our comfort with one another, what happens when non-Christians are a part of this community? And if that's you this morning, I am glad that you're here. The spirit uses those words to bring people to faith. The Spirit, in his power, uses those words to cut to their heart, expose sin, expose rebellion, expose a lack of faith, and show the glory of Jesus and the glory of gospel to where those sinners will turn from their sin, turn from their self, and turn to Jesus and say, God is truly among you. Like those words cut right to my heart. It was almost like you were reading my mail. You spoke right to my lived-in condition, right to my concerns, right to my issues. And I believe I believe that Jesus is Savior. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I I turn from that sin and now I believe. Like friends, that's the power of clear truth. That's the power of the, the prophetic power that we want our words to have. And that happens again as we speak clear words of truth. Is this not what we want? First City Church, is this not what we want? Do we not want our words to have prophetic power? Do we not want to speak clear words of truth? Do we not want our speech to connect with people, to meet them where they are, and to have the Spirit take those feeble words and to give them power and effect change and transformation? Isn't it amazing the Spirit does that? He uses us and our feeble, broken words, our fumbling. He gives them prophetic power 
when we commit to being clear. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for City Church? Well, first, we should absolutely be zealous for spiritual gifts. We should be zealous for gifts that carry prophetic power and the gift of speaking in tongues and how that can demonstrate some very beautiful things. But in our zeal, as Paul says in verse 12, we should want to excel in building up the church. Whatever gifts we may have, whatever gifts God does or does not give to you or to this church, our goal, our heart, where we want to be excellent is in building one another up. It's not looking at one particular person and going, hey, look how awesome their gift is. It's look at how awesome the church is together at building one another up. That is to be our heart. That is the point that Paul is once again driving home in these verses. Now, when it comes to the gift of tongues, look, we've never had anybody publicly use the gift of tongues on a Sunday in the six years that we've been a church. And maybe the thought of that happening makes you feel a little uncomfortable. Maybe because you've never seen it happen, you don't know what that would be like, or maybe because you've seen it go badly. I can tell you stories of seeing it go badly. But we should not fear this gift. We should not let those bad examples affect how we see the word of God. We should not let bad experiences mar what could be a very good gift given to this church. And so I don't know if God will ever gift someone in this church such that there is a gift of tongues and interpretation where we experience that on a Sunday morning. But it would be a good thing to pray for and hope for because what would it demonstrate? It would show and put on display the global nature of the gospel that we would see that it is not just the English tongue of the gospel. It's not just Spanish. It's not just Korean. It's not just Chinese. It's not just Arabic, grabbing all you linguist language, or Russian but it is all languages, all tribes, all tongues. And how awesome would that be for God to put that on display, but then for someone to come with an interpretation and say, here's what is being declared. Because as Paul says in verses 13 through 15, we want the gift to be exercised, but also with interpretation. Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. There he goes again, talking about how if the person doesn't know the language, there is a lack of interpretation. What then? Well, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. He wants both tongues and interpretation. I will sing praise with the Spirit, and I will sing praise with my understanding. Tongues and interpretation. And so we want the beauty and the power of this gift, but it must come with the personal, it must come with the edification of the body, which comes through interpretation. And so we pray for this. We ask God if this would edify and build up the church, if it would be good for us, then please give us this gift and give us the wisdom in how to exercise this. But even more than tongues, if you've always thought, man, I would love the gift of tongues, hey, that's between you and the Lord, you can pray. But even more, what this passage say, you should want your words to have prophetic power. Oh, what you should want above all else is for your words to have prophetic power. We want our words to carry with them the weight and the insightfulness and the power that affects change. And so again, I'm not saying that we believe there are prophets here. If any, if any of you stand up and tell me, hey, I am a prophet, and you want to start asserting that, we're going to have a very awkward conversation. Just going to tell you that right now. I love you, but it's going to be an awkward conversation. But 
But in our declaration of God's word, in our applying God's word to one another as we speak it to one another, in our encouragement of one another, in our exhortation of one another, in all of the ways that we speak clear truth to one another in order to build up the body, we should be praying, God, give my words prophetic power. Give my words the kind of power that's actually going to cut through and affect change in my brother and sister's life. God, give me the words that are going to have prophetic power so that when I speak encouragement, my brother or sister's encouraged. Or when I speak comfort in the deepest trial and pain, they experience your comfort. When I proclaim the gospel to my non-believing friend or family member, that that truth cuts into their heart and they see the glory of Jesus and they turn from their sin and follow Christ. We should be praying and pursuing the Spirit to give our words prophetic power. We want to speak clearly, but we want to speak powerfully. I hope you all pray on Sunday mornings. Myself, Pastor Paul, or Kyle, or someone else preaches that the Spirit would give us prophetic power in our preaching, that what we say would cut to the heart of each and every one of you and bring you to repentance and joy in Jesus. We want prophetic power in our speech. Do you want this? Do we want this? Are we pursuing this? Because church, if that's going to happen, the only way that it's going to happen is if our words are rooted in God's word. Like we have to be people grounded in God's word. Our minds and our hearts need to be saturated with God's word because that is how God's spirit works through his word. And so be people of scripture. Read, study, meditate. Let this word fill your mind and heart so that the words you speak are Holy Spirit-empowered words. But we also need to be people who are prayerful and humble and repentant. We need to be those who lay down our own desires for status, our own desires perhaps to experience a spiritual high through practicing spiritual gifts, We need to lay down self and self-edification and be given to edifying the body. We need to be committed to building one another up, loving one another, whatever our gift may be. And so church, do you want this? Do we want this? Do we want our words to be clear and full of prophetic power? Because here's the question. Here's really the question underneath that. Do we not want people to know Jesus? Like, do you not want your husband or wife or your kids, to know Jesus, like know Jesus, love Jesus, worship Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, have intimate communion with Jesus? Don't you want that friend, that brother or sister who's in gospel community with you to know Jesus, like really know Jesus, to be transformed by Christ, to have the power of the Spirit move in them and there's an intimacy and a joy and a love in Christ? Do you not want those in, your, in, in the city those that are far from Christ, those who are enslaved to sin, those who are so given over to their sin that they're blinded and they don't even know how lost they are, how, dark, how much darkness they walk in. Do we not want them to know Jesus? Do we want, not want them to know that there is a glorious God who made them And though they have rebelled, sent his son into the world to die for their sin. And he was resurrected in victory over sin and death and evil. And to know him is to know life. And that one day he's going to return and restore and renew all things. And he's going to resurrect our bodies. No more sin. No more death. No more evil. 
Do we not want people to know that message and the power of the Spirit to seal it on their hearts? If this is what we want, church, let's pray for prophetic power. Let's pray that our words have prophetic power. Let us pray that our words are clear truth because that is how the church is built up. Amen? Let's pray.